0: All right, we're going through Second Peter tonight. God is good. Can you say it with me, God is, good. "God is good"? If you love the Word of God, can you say, "God is good"? God is good. All, the time. All the time. All right, here we go. Now I want you to read this uh, first verse with me. I think we're just a little bit fuzzy, aren't we? There we go. There. All right. Let's uh, let's just read this together, and then we're going to pray. Can you stand with me one more time? You all get to be seated the rest of the time. But I want us to honor the Word of God and stand and let's just read it now. It's It's a short verse, 2 Peter 2, verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Father, we just thank you for your Word tonight. And we pray that you will teach it to us, minister it to our hearts, help us to walk in the faith and to be built up in the faith, and to bear fruit to the glory of God. Lord, we, we receive with meekness the engrafted word. Renew our minds tonight, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, what is that word pernicious? Pernicious. What is pernicious? Pernicious. Uh, Now, Peter is talking now about the false teachers, and if you notice with me that Jude talked about it, John talked about it, and now here's Peter talking about it. This is the third uh, Bible writer who has talked about false teachers in the New Testament. But we know that one of the ones who railed against it more than anybody was Paul. So false teaching was a problem that came immediately upon the early church, False teaching and false teachers. Now, you remember how Jude, if you were with me, how, by the way, last week, KBTT messed up. And right in the middle of Red Letter Living, they put on Hey Jude. And do you know we got orders that night for Hey Jude? We got orders for that manual. People just, you know, when you're out there in radio land, you don't know what you've been listening to. And so, right in the middle of something totally unrelated, we played Hey Jude and got orders. Well, anyway, the word is the word. But now, he's talking about false teachers. And they didn't like false teachers. And one reason I've been going through this with you is because I want you to see what God thinks about false teaching, how much God cares about His Word. You see that Word that you're holding on to right now, that Bible? That is the Word of God, and it is precious to God. It is so precious that Jude, John, Peter, Paul, railed against, um, answered, responded to, and exposed false teachers. And in the end of the book of Revelation, we hear the ultimate uh, indictment on false teaching. He says, anybody who adds to these words or takes away from them, they will receive the judgments listed in this book. So God cares about his word. And he cares that we get it right. He cares that we get a a correct and accurate understanding of his word. And so he says many, talking about false teachers, will follow their pernicious ways. Well, the word pernicious means unbridled lust, shamelessness, and outrageousness. Now, the term is not pointing to the heresies of the false teachers, but it's pointing to their immoral lives and guess what? The immorality of the false teachers is the result of their heretical teachings. Now, I'm going to tell you the way it really is. Here's, you, here's the way people function. Your theology will dictate your morality. Your theology will dictate your morality. You show me somebody's morality or immorality, and I'll show you their theology. And he's saying these false teachers teach what they teach because they're themselves out of control and they want to justify their behavior. And so they live immoral lives and they teach things that give you license to go live the same way. So not all false teaching, not all false teaching leads to immorality because some false teaching just leads to a troubled life and it doesn't bring the results that you've been told that it would. And that's, that's a different kind of false teaching. But these false teachers Peter's talking about were living immoral lives and their theology was opening the door for them to live immorally. Now, notice whom, because of whom the way of truth. That word whom refers back to the followers of the false teachers. The heretical teaching produces the immoral lifestyles in its followers. You know, you always see the truth of something by the fruit of it. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. You won't know them by their charisma. You won't know them by how much money they have. You won't know them by how slick they are or intelligent or schooled. You will know the quality of teaching by the fruit that it ends up bearing in the people that hurt it. And are hearing it, Amen. I'm telling you, folks. That's why you ought to be real selective what teaching you listen to. I mean it, really. I'm serious. I said a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. Even a dog sniffs something before he eats it. Let's be as smart as a dog. Y'all, y'all. That's why. When you hear teaching, you ought to hold it up against the word of God. And say, is this the word of God? Is this real? Is this true? Because here's the deal: whatever you expose your, your spirit to, it's going to influence you. Whatever you expose your mind to and, and you open your heart to and receive from, it's going to eventually come up in your life. And it's going to it's going to have fruit, bear fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You'll know teachers by their fruit. Look at the people following teachers around. Now, I'm going to tell you, Kathy worked at um, the Gaylord, as you know, the Gaylord Hotel for quite a while. And without naming any names, she had a lot of Christian conferences out there. And she said, you know, there were some groups that would come, they'd be so well-mannered. They would comport themselves well. They'd be very kind, very gracious, very Christ-like. She said, we had one group, it was the most horrible group we've ever had. They were terrible. They were, we had to take extra steps security-wise and everything else to handle these people. They disrupted everything. They were cramming into rooms, 10, 10 apiece, 10 people herding into a room and sleeping on the floors and breaking rules. It was terrible. And they all acted this way. Well, I want to suggest to you that, you might want to look towards the top to see what they were hearing. Because whatever you open your heart to, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to bear fruit in your life. That's why you're responsible for what you hear. And that's the point that he's making here, one of them. You're responsible for what you listen to, what you read. I tell you all the time, I can predict to you where you're going to be in five years by two simple things what you read and who you run with. You tell me what you're reading. You're either reading your Bible or you're reading Cosmo or people or whatever, and you're not getting any of the Word of God. What you read and who you run with is going to decide where you are spiritually five years from now. You got to be, we need to be very discerning and very discriminating about what we listen to and what we, who we sit under and what we expose our spirits to. Now, notice he says, the way of truth. You see it up there? Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed? The way of truth is better put, the road of the truth. The road of the truth. Way, from the way of truth, the word way is from a Greek word meaning a path or a road. The road down which a person travels. It points to the outworking of the truth in the life of the Christian his behavior or manner of life. Blaspheme refers to what happens when a professing Christian lives an ungodly life in front of others. The road or the path of truth is spoken of reproachfully, railed at, and reviled. See here you got these people in verse 2. They're listening to false teachers. That makes them live lives that are not godly and as they continue in those ungodly lives The way or the road of truth, which is the teachings of Christ, a Christian life lived out, is blasphemed because people see that person not living according to the Word. And so they speak, they slander, they rail at Christianity because of the walk of that person. You know, we all have a responsibility, don't we? How many of you can say, I've got, I've got clay feet up to my armpits okay so it's easy for us to mess up it's easy for us to stumble but here's the deal i'm not teaching perfectionism and neither is peter here's what peter is saying live your life out as best you can in the light of the gospel because people are watching and 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 you may not know it but they're watching they're watching and most of the time they're not going to tell you they saw what they saw but here's the deal they're watching, and if you're walking with God, the, the way or the road of life that you found in Christ is glorified, and it, it, it is, uh, it is um, confirmed. But if you're not walking it, if you're there on church on Sunday and living like hell on Monday, then people see it, and they begin to blaspheme the path of truth. And they say, it's not real. It's not real because they don't care what you're wearing, how much money you have, what kind of car you drive, how big your house is, or how spectacular your church building is. What they care about is if they see it in your life, in the everyday, everyday stuff. You don't have to be perfect, but just walk with him as best you can. And even if you mess up, if you are sincere, if you're sincere and say, God, forgive me, uh, they'll know that too. And they'll see you making an effort. But there's a movie, uh, Kathy and I were getting a movie the other day at Blockbuster, and I saw this one movie, maybe I shouldn't even say the title, I'll say it, The Hills Have Eyes, I don't know what it was, but The Hills Have Eyes, and I thought, I don't know what's in it, but I know that's true. Because people are watching all the time, especially if you have gone out and told about your walk with God. If you've made a Christian testimony, they're watching you. Amen? Amen? So we don't want the the way of truth being blasphemed because of us. Amen? All right, now let's read the translation. And many will follow their licentious conduct to its consummation on account of whom the way of the truth will be reviled at. Mm. Now, can you read verse 3 with me? And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. Now this is a powerful verse. And I want you to notice some words here. Covetousness is greedy desire to have more. That's covetousness. And do you know that's a huge sin in the Word of God? You know, we tend to think of murder and adultery and fornication and stealing and all that. But what about covetousness? Most of us wouldn't blink twice about covetousness, but covetousness is a huge sin in the Bible. And it's this greedy desire to have more. There is a proverb that says, the eye of carnal man is never satisfied. As soon as it gets, it wants more. And when it gets that, it wants more. And when it gets that, it wants more. So that the soul never rests. It's always want, 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 like a little bitty baby. You remember when you were raising kids, Their the first word they learned, first phrase, I want. I want. I want. First word you learned to talk to them with is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I want. No. And it became a battle between them and you. I want. No. I want. No. And from the time they moved out, they were wanting and you were saying no. That's the carnal nature. But now the word through, through covetousness, the word through there means that it is in the sphere of greedy desire that these teachers operate. This is their motivation. Through covetousness. This is the sphere they operate in. They're in it for what they're going to get, not what they're going to give. They're in it for what they can get out of you and not what they can put into you, give to you, sow into you. Their motive is greed. One commentator writes, these licentious Gnostics made money out of their dupes. You know, I don't want to go to heaven and see Jesus and have him look at me and say, well done, dupe. You were duped. I don't want to hear the Lord say, you were duped. How many of you know there's a lot of duped people in our world? Yeah. Duped, fooled, wool pulled over your eyes. Give them a dunce hat, put it on, because we've been duped. And this is false teachers he's talking about now. With feigned words, with feigned words, they make merchandise of you. Feigned words. Feigned is from a Greek word meaning to mold as in clay or wax. So these false teachers molded or shaped words with the intent of using them to exploit their listeners. He's saying these false teachers sit there and figure out ways, slick words, uh, merchandising words, manipulative words, to work you, to get you, to give them what they want. I'm so glad that doesn't happen in our day. I've seen this so much, it has made me so mad before, and I'm going to go ahead and say it particularly on um, Christian television where preachers have gone on there and, you know, you send in your check and your runaway child is coming home. That's feigned words. Now, somebody might say to me, that's faith words. They're talking to millions of people. How many do you think had runaway children that did not come home once they put their check in the mail? Come on, y'all. Can we be real here? Can God bring a runaway child home? Yes. But did every runaway child come home whose parent put a check in the mail to that preacher? No. And what happens to those people is their faith stumbles after that because they say, I put faith in that. I believe God for that. And here's what you did. You taught them to believe and expect something from God that God did not himself guarantee. And what happened is you got duped with feigned words molded together to dupe you. As a teacher, I got to tell you, I'm very careful, and I think every teacher of the Word of God should be really careful what they teach the people of God to expect from God. Because if the Word of God doesn't teach that you can actually legitimately expect a certain thing from Him, it is, it is wrong and sometimes cruel to teach people that that's what they should expect. The stones were more truthful than some preachers. You can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. At least that's truthful. Are y'all with me tonight? I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I've seen people walk away from church and never return because they were told God, they should expect something from God. And when God didn't do it, their faith stumbles. And they go, wait a minute, so-and-so who's a hero in the Christian world told me this would happen, and it didn't. So these feigned words, I tell you, that's why I live with this book very, very closely. (laughs) I read it all the time. You know, and I, I let it talk to me because this is, this is my map. This is my road guide. This is, this is my compass. Uh, and, and this is my anchor. And, and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to see what God tells me I can truly expect. And then when I know I can expect it, isn't anybody going to pound heaven more than me to get it? This is a real powerful phrase. They're going to make merchandise of you. They make merchandise of you. Now, make merchandise is, uh, means to go a trading, to traffic, to trade. The Greek word here is emporiumai, emporiumai. Now, I want you to notice, emporiumai, and we get emporium from it, which means a place where trade is carried on. We have the food emporium, the drug emporium. You recognize those? Well, that comes from emporiumai. That's a Greek word. It just came from there. And it means a place where you trade. Uh, where, where, you, where you trade uh, and barter merchandise. Now, here's what, here's what he's actually saying. The idea is that these false teachers had turned their listeners into nothing more than merchandise in a store. That's what they did. They were exploited. The people, the well-meaning, sincere people, were reduced to being exploited products. Passed around from one false teacher to the next. Just, you're just an exploited product. You know, um, you turn one of these people loose on a crowd and they're thinking one thing. What can I, what can I work out of them financially? Because remember now, they're motivated by greed. Money is the bottom line. It is not fruit among the people. Money is the bottom line. Are y'all with me? (laughs) Money is the bottom line. That's what's, that's what's making them tick, and so they 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 turn or turn loose on a group of people or a crowd, and they're thinking one thing: how can I get out of them what I want? So they mold words together. They use slick phraseologies and 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 uh, you know molded words, shaped and put together in a way to manipulate out of you what they want. You're nothing to them but a product. They're not thinking about your well-being, your spiritual fruitfulness. They're thinking, how successfully can I work this crowd? That's exactly what Peter is doing. Wouldn't you think Peter was living in the 21st century? Hello, y'all. I mean, I'm just giving you the Word of God here. I'm just translating the Greek language here. There is no way around this. This is what the man was saying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. All right. All right. Now, look what God says about people who treat His people this way. Can you say it with me? And their damnation slumbers not. Oh, this is strong. A a better translation might be whose punishment has long been impending and will shortly fall. Ooh, I'll tell you, God Almighty blinks in your history. He blinks and it's over. He half blinks and a nation is gone. Now, one commentator writes, there's a graphic picture in this sentence. The judgment is not idle, like a car idling, sitting there going nowhere. It is represented as a living thing, awake and expectant. Long ago that judgment started on its destroying path and the fate of sinning angels and the flood and the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah were but incidental illustrations of its power, nor has it ever lingered. It advances still, strong and vigilant as when it sprang from the bosom of God and will not fail to reach the mark to which it was pointed from of old. That means there's an arrow coming at you, and no matter where you turn, it's going to find its mark. <laughs> Damnation just means utter ruin and destruction. And so, folks, I'm going to tell you, here's the deal. Sometimes you look at people like this and you go, it doesn't seem to me like they're under judgment. They just go on like usual. But the wheels of justice move very slowly. That arrow fired by God has been traveling through history since the the dawn of man. He's telling us from of old, God decreed a judgment on these people. So just because it's not happening to them today doesn't mean it ain't coming. It's coming. And, And when it finds its mark, no one escapes. God cares about how you do his people. Hmm go ahead give the lord a hand that's all right so these people these these i'm searching for words who i see on tv sometimes these individuals who who mold words and use feigned words and cast that net out there to make merchandise of god's people and they go hop skip into the next show and the next show and the next show and get their wallets get fatter and their bellies get fatter and their lives get fatter. And there's nothing wrong with increase, but there's a whole lot wrong with or right about how you get it. And the ones who make the merchandise of God's people, it's coming, it's coming. And I don't want to be in their shoes. Can we read the translation? And it is the, and is the sphere of covetousness. With molded words they will exploit you. For whom the judgment is not lingering and their destruction is not sleeping. Praise God. Y'all don't be so quiet. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a jump up and shout message, is it? But boy, it's good stuff. Now, read verse 4 with me, would you? For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, the angels that sinned, you know, if you've been here with me on Wednesday nights, you know all about these. The angels that sinned are the angels, I did, not angles, but angels, are the angels of Jude 6 and 7, whose sin was that of fornication. Peter's point is that if God did not spare a higher order of being to man, namely angels, he will not spare human beings. God judged angels. So lest you and I think we can get by with stuff, we can't because God judged angels. And we're about to see right now where they are. They're in hell, Hell is the Greek word tartaros. You remember tartar sauce? I taught you all this. Tartaros, all right? That's the hell, uh, which is the prison for fallen angels. And if you didn't get all this, go get the Hey Jude series. It'd be worth your time. But hell, where Peter says right here, but cast them down to hell, the angels that sinned. Hell here is tartaros, the prison for fallen angels. And they are awaiting the great white throne judgment from where they will be sent to eternal misery in the lake of fire. Revelations twenty fourteen talks about this. Then death and hades that's the Greek word for Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. What a blessing to see that that monstrosity called death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That breaker of a billion hearts is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire is the final abode of the wicked dead, also called hell. The Greek word is Hades. The E-S is really an A-C-E, and it sounds like A-C-E ending, Hades means the unseen and refers to the unseen world of free moral intelligences or personalities. Now, I want you follow me here? Just because you're wrapped in a body, that is not what makes you real. Because there is an unseen world of personalities that are spirit. And let's look at it here. Holy angels, you don't see them. There's probably one or two in here, I hope so. Uh, Holy angels, fallen angels, you don't see them, but they are viable personalities. They're in the unseen world. Departed saints... The unsaved who died, Satan, and the demons. There is a world beyond the veil. It's unseen, and in that unseen world, there are intelligences, personalities. And this is not uh, Spielberg. This is not ET. This is not. This is the way God made things. It is the spirit world that goes on forever. All right? It's it's invincible. It's going to go, it's going to live somewhere forever. And these are the unseen intelligences that are there. Holy angels, fallen angels, departed saints, the unsaved who died, Satan and the demons. They are there in that world. And look what it says. Go back up to the verse. He delivered those fallen angels into chains of darkness. So let's look at it. He delivered them. Delivered means to give over into the hands of another. To deliver to someone something to keep, to commit to another. Much like a new prisoner is handed over to the guards who then escort him into the prison. God committed these angels into chains of darkness. There are angels that fell during the time of Noah. And they have been committed into chains of darkness. And there they are. They are in Tartaros right now. Right now now. And they're waiting for the great white throne judgment. Chains is really actually in the Greek language a pit or an underground uh, granary. So they're in a pit. Tartaros is a pit. Darkness is blackness, the blackness of darkness, originally used of the gloom of the nether world. I mean, you talk about dark, you talk about no light getting in from anywhere. If you're in a place like Tartaros, there is no light gets into that place. There's no rising sun, no stray beams of sunshine will make their way past a closed curtain and come in and give any light. There is no, it is the blackness of black, the darkness of dark. There is no zero light. That's the netherworld. And when I read things like this, I say thank you Jesus. Now, to be reserved actually reads best as being reserved. These fallen angels are currently being reserved for judgment. When that great white throne judgment rolls around and God calls before him the living and the dead, all people who have never accepted Christ, who had their chance and spurned him. Now, this is what John said. Jeff Wickwire didn't say this. John said this. Jesus said this. The Bible says this. The small and the great will be brought before God and they'll be judged by their works written in the book of works. And God will look to see if you're in the book of life. If you're not in the book of life, you're cast out according to the Scriptures. And however you want to conceptualize where you go, I have no problem with that. I can tell you how the Bible describes it and it does in different ways, like a fire Netherworld, Jesus said, Where the worm dies, dies not, and the fire is never quenched. There's several different, but I'll tell you this none of them appeal to me. None of them do you ever want to see. And these angels that fell are being held right now in Tartaros are going to be brought before God at that same judgment. Along with Antichrist and the beast, the false prophet, and all of the demon spirits who have rebelled against God are going to be brought before him. And death itself. And they're all, right now, ladies and gentlemen, nothing is in the lake of fire. Nothing. The lake of fire has not been visited by a single thing yet it's waiting the great white throne judgment if you die without christ my understanding is you're in Tartaros or you're in some place of judgment until the great white throne if you're in christ to be dead is to be present with the lord you're immediately in the presence of the lord So here we go. Translation, read it with me. We're almost done. For in view of the fact that God did not spare angels who sinned, but having thrust them down into Tartarus, committed them to pits of netherworld gloom, being reserved for judgment. Wow. This is our last verse tonight. And spared not, can you read it with me? And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now notice the word save in front of Noah. Save Noah. Save means to guard a person that he remains safe. That is, lest he suffer violence. This is not talking about spiritual salvation, but to the preservation of Noah and his family in the hour of of danger and judgment. God preserved them. The eighth person When he talks about the eighth, Noah being the eighth person, it's referring to Noah's family having eight members of which he was counted the eighth. So, there's eight people floating in that ark and the whole rest of the world perished. Now, it calls him a preacher of righteousness. Preacher means a herald. A herald in ancient times was a highly honored person, often a spokesman for the emperor or an ambassador of one country to another. Noah proclaimed the message of God for 120 years to the pre-flood world. 120 years hammering away on that boat. 120 years those people walked past him. 120 years they closed their ears, closed their eyes, closed their heart. 120 years most of the people around him heard his message many, many, many times. And what was he saying? Noah proclaimed the message of God for 120 years of the pre-flood world, warning them of the coming judgment of the flood and showing the way of personal salvation. And in that day, it was the ark. Of course, we know what it is in our day. Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. And Noah would preach and say, a flood's coming, and your only answer is to get into this boat with me. And not one convert in 120 years I think that says more, more about his faith than that he built that boat. If I preached for 120 years, had not one convert, I'd be checking out whether I'm supposed to be selling shoes. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about not only did he have to obey God for 120 years and obey and build this huge boat, but he had to face the spectacle of preaching to his generation for 120 years, and not one of them ever walking up to him and saying, I believe. Wow! Well, it says his preaching brought in the flood. Bringing in means to cause something to befall one. Usually something evil. It's used, for instance, of letting loose the dogs. Who let the dogs out? I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Who let the dogs out? When you say bringing in the flood the whole the message behind bringing in is you release something you loose something and his preaching and them not receiving it loosed the judgment of God finally upon the world of the ungodly ungodly is destitute of reverential awe towards God impious there is no fear of God at all with these people who are listening to Noah. Let's stand together and read the translation together, and we're, and we're done tonight. Can you read this with me out loud? And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah as the eighth person to be preserved, a proclaimer of righteousness, having let loose the deluge upon the world of those who were destitute of reverential awe towards God. The message of Peter here that we've covered tonight is simply this. If God didn't spare the angels and he didn't spare the people of Noah's day, he's not going to spare you or me. Any of you listening by radio, he's not going to spare you. If you do not come to Christ, shelter yourself under his blood, step into the ark of the new covenant for your salvation. You, nobody special. Neither am I. God will judge you. He'll judge me. Father, we thank you for your blessing tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we are in the day of grace. Thank you, Lord, for the ark of the new covenant. And Lord, as the church is preaching to this world, telling them that there is going to be a sign in the sky, even the coming of Jesus, just like Noah preached, some are receiving it and some aren't. Help us, Lord, as a church to take the gospel Far and wide, and see as many as possible step through the door of the Ark of the New Covenant. And Lord, we stand before you in humility and fear and trembling, knowing that if you did not spare angels, but they are held this hour in chains of netherworld darkness, and you didn't spare those of Noah's day, then we too must lean on the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for it, Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. He's good. Thank you, Lord.